cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on February the 29th, 2008. And it's been quite a busy time up here in Ontario, Canada, because we seem to be left out of our share of global warming. In fact, it's snowing like crazy right now. And we should all complain about it, I think. We pay more taxes, so we should complain and get our share. That's only fair in this modern world of ours. And talking about modern worlds, uh, the, the news is impossible to keep up with. The real news, the stuff that's between the lines, the stuff that's outside the Hollywood bimbos and the breakups and all of that. But the, the stuff to do with us, the big laws are passed every day uh, and this big machine that just churns them out. And... People haven't really seen them enforced yet, but when you see thousands of laws on the books, these aren't just laws for a temporary period in history. These are laws which only affect us all for maybe 100, 200 years. This is a war for the brave new world. It's been in the planning for an awful long time. And when you see all of the make-work projects, that they're just churning out there, it's staggering staggering. And what's even more staggering is how complacent the general population are because they question nothing really. They truly do believe, like Brzezinski said, that if there's anything worth knowing, then the media will tell them. They'll tell them what to think about and what to worry about even. And if they don't tell them anything, they won't even use their own eyes. They won't see the spring overhead. They just simply won't see it. They won't see the guys, the machine guns and the black clothes as being anything unusual. And for those who are awake, that's a scary thing to notice. You're kind of on your own. It's good to stand around these characters with machine guns because you will see the occasional passerby with that gleam in their eye of awareness. And if you manage to cross eyes with each other, you might just happen to get in touch with each other and say, my God, there's another live one here and you'll feel much better. But the rest of the drones will go on their merry way to buy all the little trinkets that they have with the pieces of plastic and this seemingly unlimited credit that they have right now, the big glut. But we are in a make-work project. It's a massive make-work project for security forces of all kinds, for government institutions, for massive bureaucracies. We thought we had enough of that during the Cold War, masses and masses of bureaucracies that dealt with everything you could imagine and things you couldn't imagine. And then compartments, above compartments and within compartments of secret services and, and CIAs and MI6s. And it's expanded so big now you can't keep track of it because now they have employees right through society at every level within even the police forces, maybe even in your own local town, who get an extra paycheck for working for Homeland Security. 
and even rat on their own their own fraternities, as they call them, their own brothers within the police. Same thing within teaching organisations. We're living in a world that's been set up for vast paranoia, where everyone is going to rat on everyone else. It's modelled after the Soviet system, and it's here, it's worldwide. Michael Gorbachev, when he was the head of the Soviet Union, before he was made the leader of the Greenies, talked about this in his last speech to the Politburo. You should pull it up and listen to what he said about communism spreading outwards, not giving in. I'll be back with more after these messages. Hi, I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. I should always mention, sometimes I forget to say, that newcomers can look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com for old talks. They may be old, and I know it's old-fashioned this day to say old. It's not good if it's old. But these old talks help to fill in a lot of the gaps in their histories that led up to where we are today. It's important to understand them and it's important to, to see the organizations, the big foundations that are intermeshed that help bring this particular part of the present upon us and where they plan to go with it. And also look into alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts which you can download in the various tongues of Europe. I was mentioning before the break about Michael Gorbachev. His last speech to the Politburo was published in major newspapers the Toronto Sun had an article by Eric Margolis. Look it up and read that speech. Because right there, it shows you that the whole fall of the communist system was nothing more than a merger as the big bureaucracies of the Soviets. They shook hands with their brothers across the way to the West. Because during the Cold War, the massive bureaucracies realized, as they always do, that had so much in common with each other, they had to control vast amounts of the public and alter their perceptions of things. So it was all to do with control. So naturally, they realized that they had nothing really to differ about, ultimately. And they knew they'd have to bring on a global system. They both wanted it. And they, they pretty well merged. And it's all here today. And there's no doubt, too, even the fall of the Soviet system and coming down off the Berlin Wall was planned probably when they had the Bolshevik Revolution. It's odd that Lenin himself said that the dictatorship, he said off the proletariat, really was over the proletariat. The dictatorship would last maybe 70, maybe 80 years. And then after that, there'd be some kind of strange, strange peace and a system that would be not quite capitalist and not quite communist. Merge that with Professor Carol Quigley's talks, and he talks about the new feudal system. A new feudal system, semi-socialist in nature, in that massive bureaucracies would guide the public and control the public on behalf of a fascist elite, an elite who will be in and out of politics and also in and out of the 
the CEO positions of international corporations. Planned long ago, and of course we're the last to know because you can't tell the people what's really going on. Perception management, they call that. And they use the media, mainstream media, to do it. Very simple. If all you're fed is certain news and they're all coordinating the same stories on a daily basis, you have no question, no reason to question anything. It's quite simple. Here's an article now which shows you where they're going to uh, from theguardian.co.uk. And this, this was written on the 23rd of February 2008 by Ian Trainer in Brussels. It says, government wants personal details of every traveler. Phone numbers and credit card data to be collected under expanded EU plan. It says here, airline passengers will be monitored at every stage of their journey under the proposals. Passengers traveling between EU countries or taking domestic flights would have to hand over a mass of personal information, including their mobile phone numbers and credit card details, as being part of a new package, I like how they use the terminology, salesmanship, a new package of security measures being demanded by the British government. The data will be stored for 13 years, yeah, sure, be forever, and used to profile suspects. Brussels officials are already considering controversial anti-terror plans that would collect up to 19 pieces of information on every air passenger entering or leaving the EU. Under controversial agreement reached last summer with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, the EU already supplies the same information to Washington for all passengers flying between Europe and the U.S. But Britain wants the system expanded to sea and rail travel to be applied to domestic flights and those between EU countries. According to a questionnaire circulated to all EU capitals by the European Commission, the UK is the only country of 27 EU member states that wants the system used for more general public policy purposes. That's how it's termed. That's all we need to know is for general public purposes, besides fighting terrorism and organized crime. So there are other reasons for it, outside of terrorism, obviously, which is a bit of a joke. And organized crime is all at the top. The so-called passenger's name record system, proposed by the Commission and supported by most EU governments, has been denounced by civil libertarians and data protection officials as draconian and probably ineffective. It depends what they're really after. It's it won't be ineffective at all. There's always a method to the madness. The scheme would work through national agencies collecting and processing the passenger data and then sharing it with other EU states. Britain also wants to be able to exchange the information with third parties outside the EU. Officials in Brussels and in European capitals admit the proposed system represents a massive intrusion into European civil liberties. I wonder what civil liberties they have in Europe, but insist is a necessary part of a battery of new electronic surveillance measures being mooted in the interest of European security. These include proposals unveiled in Brussels last week for fingerprinting and collecting biometric information of all non-EU nationals entering or leaving the Union. All airlines will provide 
the agencies with 19 pieces of information on every passenger, including your mobile phone, credit card details, would work by running the data against a combination of characteristics, interesting, characteristics and behavioral patterns aimed at creating a risk assessment. So here you go, computers, once again, brainless computers, non-human pieces of junk, things we make with our own hands are going to give us the results and who's going to be arrested or who's going to turn out to be a suspect, yada, yada, yada. It's fascinating how this new god, the computer and statistics and data, has taken over from all common sense. But then don't expect common sense at the top, people. Bureaucrats are not famous for their ingenuity. Says here, when a passenger fits within a certain risk assessment, he could be identified as a high-risk passenger. A working party of European data protection officials described the proposals as a further milestone towards a European surveillance society. Well, it's already there, isn't it? The draft foresees the collection of a vast amount of personal data of all passengers flying in or out of the EU, regardless of whether they are under suspicion or innocent travellers. These data will then be stored for a period of 13 years to allow for profiling. The profiling of all passengers envisaged by the current proposal might raise constitutional concerns in some member states. Well, they'll change that to suit, won't they? The Liberal Democrat MEP Sarah Ludford said, where is this going to stop? Well, maybe I should go over and tell her. There's no mature discussion of risk. As soon as you question something like this, you're soft on terrorism in the UK and in the EU. You see, this is what people haven't cottoned onto. The vast bureaucracies, the vast bureaucracies created during the Cold War have to have an enemy. And in a global society, governments must have enemies to be governments. That's supposedly the principle that governments were founded upon. The tallest guy in the tribe becomes a hero, and then you make them all soft and feed them all the best stuff and give them the best women and so on, and they breed and become a dynasty. And then you have kings and queens who are then going to protect you from the big guys over yonder. And without big guys over yonder, you have to have a reason for existing, especially in the state of living you're in, which is way above the rest of the public. You feed it off of the public. Therefore, you've got to have ongoing war. That's why we find George Orwell in his book 1984 talking about perpetual war. Perpetual war. And when he kicked off 9-11, there was obviously a preconceived idea. You couldn't write about it and hope for it. A Pearl Harbor event. And then it happens just like bingo, you won the lotto. It had to be planned that way. And they knew where the new American century wanted to take the world. And we're all on the same boat together here. It took cooperation between all nations to get all of these draconian measures drafted up, gone over and over and over for years and years before 9-11 happened to go into action so quickly together. That's obvious. But as I say, in a brave new world, you need an enemy, and the enemy will turn out to be everyone. Everyone is suspect. You might not be an enemy now, but you might be an enemy down the road. Who knows? In 1984, when the character Winston is locked up in prison by, you know, the, the Ministry of Love. The Ministry of Love are the ones who torture and kill you. When he's locked up, he meets his next-door neighbor who said to him, don't come near me, Winston. I'm a thought 
criminal. It was my daughter that found out. I didn't know it myself. Thank God she caught me in time. Uh, that's what's coming. Where everyone is suspect. And as long as you go along with the, with the, the promoted, computer-generated, perfect type of citizen, which is a non-thinker who watches sports, guzzles the beer, and goes to work, pays taxes, and doesn't think too much. All these topics will be from the media and entertainment. Then he'll be classified as safe. But if he ventures out of that, he's in big trouble. Big trouble. You wait and see. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix, which is getting thicker and thicker all the time. The unreality around all of this is because the general public have not seen the full effects of it yet, but they're being told about it. However, in psychology schools and lessons, they do various experiments even with the students. And some of that is to do with, with what you see and what you want to see and what you don't want to see. It's kind of like asking suspects after a robbery. That's why the police separate them all to find out if each have the same kind of descriptions. Because if someone that seems to be superior amongst the group, a dominant type, says at first and gives a description, the rest will start changing their mind and follow that description and neglect their own perceptions. That's how easy it happens. And, and that's how this is working on the public too. Uh, the greater bad guys who seem to be everywhere, uh, you know, they seem to be just sprouting up like bacterium and viruses. And they have to do all of this massive new make-work project, the biggest make-work project on the planet, for security and bureaucracies and divisions and all the rest of it, mainly because the economy has gone to pot. This is, the, this is the new business, is security. That's what it's all about. And it's taking us to a, on a path to hell. But mind you, it's organized because they know where they're going with it. Out of this is to come the brave new world where they're going to create purpose-made ideal designs. The real meaning of ID is ideal design. And they're going to make ideal design to humans to serve them better. They want to get rid of the junk genes. You know, the inferior Darwinian types uh, that Charles Galton Darwin was terrified of wanting to breed out a hand and there'd be too many of them and they'd overtake the superior types, the dominant ones, the natural aristocracy who had all the wealth and proven their worth through centuries of slaughter, battle and stealing. They call them nobility. And that's where it's all about. It's ongoing today. And it's going to get a lot worse. Now, what's amazing, too, is that this information I'm giving here is available to the general public. But just like the people who just witnessed a robbery, they can glance over this and it doesn't, it doesn't even make a mark on them, not an indent, nothing. It's not. It's because it's bad news. And they've been taught to be egocentric. You look at the good things and don't look at the bad. Like the New Agers. Look at the positive things and turn your back on the negative. Yeah, that's how they've all been trained. An ego 
St. Tonic Society, the type that Bertrand Russell said they would create. It's all here. And it's not new. It was here beginning in the 60s. And this is from the Press Association Thursday, February the 28th. And it was also printed on Yahoo News, UK and Ireland. Every part of Britain will be mapped for its potential to produce violent Muslim extremists under a new strategy drawn up by senior police officers. Now, here's the cops drawing up strategies which will become law. Now, that's wrong itself, you see, but they won't point that out to you. As its counter-terrorism conference in Brighton this week, the Association of Chief Police Officers... Now, you don't realize that all... This is the same in the States and Canada and all across the world. This is a UN organization that we pay for. And we think that they are local police chiefs, but they're actually part of the International Police Chiefs Association. It's approved a blueprint for how to prevent Al-Qaeda, you know, the, the ghosts, recruiting fresh supporters. The 40-page document aims to stop extremist ideas gaining hold in schools, colleges, prisons, and over the Internet. Over the Internet includes advice for parents on how to stop their children searching for jihadist websites. It's quite amazing. What's the alternative? Then go to the game websites where they slaughter, 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 but that's okay. The Internet is a potential area where a tendency towards violent extremism can be exploited, it reads. Parents and carers have a need for advice on how to control access for their children and how to understand what defines the legal potential, illegal divide. It's an illegal divide here, see? The strategy also outlines details of an anti-extremist agenda to be included at every level of state-maintained education from primary school, that's when you start off at five, to university by 2008 to 2009. It's all here. Ezekiel, it's all here. It speaks of a pressing need to develop relationships between the police and the education sector at every level with regard to preventing violent extremism. We're really, really going into the dark side now. I hope you understand what this all means when police are putting their old laws forward and they're going into the school systems big time to monitor, watch. And this will come to testing every child too. And it's not just, don't believe it's anything to do with the jihad, the supporters. It speaks of a pressing need, a pressing need to develop relationships between the police and the education sector at every level with regard to preventing violent extremism. Extremism. The strategy will be rooted in neighborhood profiling, neighborhood profiling, to establish what is normal and what is unusual behavior. Now, here we go into the, again, the computer generated robotic cop type mentality when they start deciding what is normal. We're in big trouble. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. 
terror, terror everywhere, and there is no peace to drink because we're not to be allowed any peace as we go through this terror because it's a war of terror. The greatest changes that ever happened in the past in history often took place when there was terror everywhere, mainly generated from the top again, even during the great black plagues. They had times of pillages and plunder. There was knights going back and forth, people coming back from various crusades and pillaging across Europe. And it was just a, a massive chaos at the time. Again, the change of a particular era. An era which they talk about in the old King Arthur legends, which is to show you uh, that an old age was passing and a new one was coming in. The same thing happened with the Industrial Revolution, when millions of people were ousted off their land across Europe and forced into cities, pressurized in, because the big banking boys who ran the merchant systems had dumped corn and various other crops uh, from all other countries on each country. They had laws passed to allow that to happen. Uh, the corn laws were passed in Britain by Lord Rothschild, and suddenly all the little farmers were out of business with all this cheap corn flooding in, and yet they'd go into the big factories that were just all built and ready to receive them. Nothing happens, as I say, by chance in an economic system. And a few weeks ago, I talked about the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and you should look into their website, look into the organizations which they run. There's hundreds of them. This organization itself is in charge of hundreds of others and specialized departments working on such things as your food supply for the next 150, 200 years. Very important to them in this day of modified crops. And the hype is coming as they try to tell us that the whole world is going to hell in the handbasket and we're supposed to be terrified. And when we're terrified, we leave it to the experts. And that's the goal of the whole project, is to have us sit back helplessly and allow them to take more and more power into their hands over another big manufactured con. This is from the Sunday Times, February 24th, 2008. Food shortages loom as wheat crop shrinks and prices rise. It's pretty well verbatim from the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council of Foreign Relations Group, and what they printed themselves, because most of these reporters work for them. By Jonathan Leak. I guess he's leaking the news to us. The world is only 10 weeks away from running out of wheat supplies after stocks fell to their lowest levels for 50 years. The crisis, there's the word, has pushed prices to an all-time high and could lead to further hikes in the price of bread, beer, biscuits, and other basic foods. It says here, it could also exacerbate serious food shortages in developing countries, especially Africa. The crisis came after two successive years of disastrous wheat harvests. It saw production fall from 624 million to 600 million tons, according to the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization. Now, go into the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization's website, look at their own little mandate in their charter and all the speeches they've given before, because the purpose of this part of the UN, like all other parts of the UN, is to take over the world's food supply for the world. And they said that eventually 
that they will be the ones to dish it out to the to the to the regions they call different parts of the world, amalgamated regions, and those leaders in those countries will be forced to bring down their population because they will not up the food quota to any region if you go above a certain limit. Now, you know they'll start with a limit and they start bringing it down. You know where it's all going. It's so obvious. Now, here we have the big bogeymen at the top, the faceless ones, experts. That's the word you see. As soon as we hear experts, we switch off and, and, and believe them. Blame the climate change, of course, as heat waves caused a slump in harvest last year in Eastern Europe, Canada, Morocco, and Australia, all big wheat producers. Booming populations and a switch to a meat-rich diet in the developing world also mean that about 110 million tons of the world's annual wheat crop has been diverted to feed livestock. So you remember that the world they're bringing in is to be a vegetarian world. Uh, that's what Alvin Toffler said when he was getting his book handed out to all the congressmen by Newt Gingrich a few years ago. The third way, or wave, as they call it then, it's based after Plato. That will play on Plato's one. And it's where the two systems, capitalism and communism, come together to present the next way, the Hegelian dialectic in motion. So here it's right here. They only blame the cattle for it and all the rest of it. Uh, they've already brought in the fart tags, although they should bring it in in parliaments as well, because that's where most of it is generated. Short-term pressures have compounded the problem. Speculative buying by investors gambling on further price rises has further pushed up prices. What's not telling you is they've deregulated all of the controls that government had over basic necessities like food. And this is part of the whole privatization process where everything's handed over to businesses who are supposed to manage it better because they have the selfish motive of massive profit. And that's supposed to be good for everyone. But they play a lot of con games with us too. It says here, short-term pressures have compounded the problem. Speculative buyers by investors gambling on further price rises has further pushed up prices. Though shortages are often blamed on the use of land for biofuel crops, the main biofuel cereal crop is maize, not wheat. Farmers have brought millions of acres of fallow land into production, and the FAO predicts that the shortages could be eliminated within 12 months. Could be. So, this is going to start with every other type of crisis. We're going to hear the hype as they push this and push it and push it and nauseam because, as I say, everything in your life that you've taken for granted growing up is to change drastically. And everything that you look at has to be a crisis. Everything will be a crisis. And we'll all have to just adapt and listen to the experts who will guide the sheep to the new pasture, where it's going to be a different kind of grass you're going to eat, believe you me. And they'll also decide if you should, if you're good enough, a good enough animal, a fit enough animal to come in to the brave new world. If you have any junk genes there that are undesirable or the potential of having something severe like, oh, an allergy or hay fever, they don't want to. They want perfectly fit only. And they want a good solid background history and stability in your lineage. That's the brave new world we live in, and that's the brave new world that's rushing upon us as we play ourselves, as we play and try and live as we've always done 
uh, in this moneyed system, which is to get up, earn money, spend it, reward ourselves with toys, and run after sex and all the usual things, and, and hope maybe one day you'll get a good mate. And all of, all of those things, that's what everybody really wants. That part of it's an illusion, and part of it's almost impossible, because the society you're living in today makes sure that you can't be content with anything or anybody, for that matter. We are a commercialized system where marketing has taken over our thoughts. We dress the way we dress with all the brand names on our clothes because the marketers have taught us to do so. They gave it snob appeal. At one time during the Great Depression, you'll see that in old black and white comedies with Charlie Chaplin and others. They had to pay men to carry billboards advertising uh, the, the clothes and the, the names of shoes and so on. Not today, they've trained the public. The corporations now have trained the public to feel ashamed if they don't have the in-brand names showing on the clothes they bought. So we advertise what we buy to other people around us, and most folk don't even think of that. They're only too proud to show the brand name because it's got snob appeal. Snob appeal. Works very, very well. The same thing will happen with the chip scenario because they don't want to just force it down our throats. I've had meetings in federal governments to do with the chip. And they initially wanted to give it snob appeal. In other words, to give it a bronze or a silver or a gold or a platinum model. And how do you buy it? Because when we buy things, we're not suspicious of them. If the government mandated you have a computer, you would be suspicious. If they mandate you must have a chip, you will be. Even the, 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 those in a coma might be a bit suspicious. Uh, but uh, as long as we buy it, we don't think about it at all. It must be natural. It must be quite natural. And you go for it. You're wide open then. That's the reality of our world. The Anoas down pat have trained society through commerce to obey, and Lord Bertrand Russell and others said, back in the 50s, they were bringing on the biggest marketing advertising companies on board into the big think tanks to start to scientifically manage the thoughts and the behavior of the public. It's happened. And most folk have grown up in it, never even knowing. Never knowing. People said a hundred years ago that democracy, this chosen system, was chosen long ago to be the one system allowed to rule the world. There would be no competition, although it would lie its face off initially uh, when they set up the League of Nations, then the UN, and they said that they would accept all kinds of societies, even dictatorships and religious societies and so on. That was the big lie. Their goal all along was to demolish all competition, all alternate ways of living, and bring in this thing called democracy. And it was well understood a hundred years ago that democracy meant and would mean ultimately that if you don't belong to the big group, which about the big group it is, you'll have no say as a private individual whatsoever. 
fact, you'd have no rights. You would have no hearing on anything, no standing, as they call it. Only the big corporations that lobby government have the biggest rights today. They have instant access to the politicians and the guys who dish out the contracts of your tax money to the public-private corporations. The average individual is pretty well helpless. Alexander Hamilton said a long time ago, and he was criticized for his way, but I prefer a good open psychopath to the, to the, the conning liars that deceive. And Hamilton didn't, didn't deceive anyone. He said what he thought. And that's handy when a psychopath tells you what they think. Because he thought that the, the same system that ruled Europe of the tried and tested blue bloods, the royalty should rule the Americas with the same system of the bankers and all the rest of it. He made no real bones about it. He wasn't too much of a diplomat. He was a straightforward type of psychopath. And he said something that was very true. He said, what do you want? He said, he said, look at history. If you have dynasties of royalty, all you have to pay for is the royal families, their cousins, and all of the entourage and those that serve them, and a few castles. And you'll have a tyrant at maybe once every third dynasty that makes life hell for everyone. But he said, he said, think of if it's the other way around. When you have whole new dynasties, thousands of them, thousands upon thousands of bureaucrats, government employees and their families, living high off the hog above the ordinary people, he said it'll be an awful lot worse, it'll be slavery. And he was condemned for his opinions, but he was stating a practical fact. A dilemma that's never been figured out or talked about yet. And that's what we have, like this security business. It's the only business in town. It's the only business in the world right now. It's the biggest make-work project ever devised. On a war footing, a world war footing, this is World War Three, And it's a war for everything. One was to establish the League of Nations. Two was to set up the United Nations with more power. The third one is to eventually to finish with the UN completely in charge, as a front, of course, over the entire planet. Read the writings of those who set up the old League of Nations, and they tell you that. No big mystery. And they would use wars to bring it about. Propagandists that were paid by the British government by, and by the authorities that ran the government, because there's never been freedom in Britain, there was always the establishment. Guys like Wells talked about it openly and wrote about it openly. This coming world society. He was a founder of the Fabian Society alongside his propagandist uh, job. And he wasn't a single author. He had teams of writers working for them, as indeed all the big ones do and always have done. Professors worked alongside him. They gave him the data, and he'd wrap the stories around the data. Predictive programming, as they call it, has to fascinate the 
said himself after World War II, just before he died, he said, not enough have died. They're, they're, they're not on their knees yet. They won't give up their sovereignty. We need another war, he said. He thought that was quite practical. And that's how a psychopath does view things. They're very consistent with their strange logic. They're predictable. And this is the Third World War. The Soviet Union was set up by the big banking foundations of the West. The Soviet Union really was not the Soviet Union. It was a Bolshevik Union. The first revolution happened in 1905 by the socialist organizations. And they formed a parliament. And the, the small Bolshevik faction had a coup overnight in 17 and took it all over. But they were financed by big banks in the U.S. and in London from the beginning. Russia was starving to death, and massive aid was gathered up by governments of the West, including the U.S., to feed them and clothe them and keep them going. They couldn't let it go down. They needed it to happen. I'll be back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix of this increasingly complex system. We've got Jim on Texas there in line. Are you there, Jim? Hello, Jim. Hello, Alan. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I think it's very pressing of you to describe uh, George Orwell's 1984, because if he were to write that book today, he would describe Western Europe, the United States, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand as 1983, 11 months, 29 days, and 35 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's how he would describe it, because that's the situation we're in. They control everything, every thought process, every bit of the media. As you well know in Canada, that they control everything. The Canadian government has assumed, I don't know if they consider it rightful or not, that they, that they can control the Internet. They can control whether a Canadian citizen can... Uh, uh, call up on the internet an American website and get some information. Mm -hmm. They say that it's illegal for a Canadian citizen to call up an American website and get some information that the Canadian government might not approve of. That's right. That's right. And uh, this is this is why I talked to you about a week ago. And this is I don't understand how the Canadian people have allowed themselves to sink to this low. Uh, it's the same as everyone else. So you have the, the old song says, let the good times roll. And so they give them plastic cards and lots of little trinkets and colorful toys to buy. And that's what the whole world's been doing in the West. Just going out on a massive binging spending spree and having fun while all of this has been happening around them. Quite simple. I'll have to try and take Drew from New York City before we go. Are you there, Drew? Hello, Drew. Hi, how are you? Not so bad. How are you? Great. Uh, 
Uh, Alice Huxley would be very excited to hear about the new uh, CDC announcement that they're recommending that every child from six months to 18 years should be immunized for the uh, flu vac with the flu vaccine. Yeah, every year now. That's right, every every year. And so once again, you have pharma business, private corporations working with government to force laws on the public. Not bad getting a business going and getting the government to pass laws and making it mandatory. You buy whatever they sell, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. It is. Um, it's just shocking, really. And, and uh, yeah, course, uh, all the... Parents in jail for not getting their child vaccinated. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's eventually, uh, shortly, it's going to be everyone going into jail as they right. push it, because now they have so many laws set up, you probably know about it, Homeland Security. Right. In fact, in New York City has given out licenses or, or little uh, cards to all nursing staff, medical staff, that they're now working for Homeland Security, and they will be basically called up right away to immunize populations when there's a, uh, the possibility of a plague. Yeah, and they're also making it illegal in New York City to own your own Geiger counter. Mm. A really interesting law. Like, why would anybody be concerned about that? It upsets them because they're scanning your city every night for everything, including radiation. <laughs> so, so your little Geiger counter there might throw them off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, Alan. And thanks for calling. And yeah, we live in in the most amazing times, but then not so surprising to people who've followed this their whole lives and know where it's going. It's up to us to change it, not the media. And really, we have to put pressure on everyone we know to save ourselves, if the will is there. From Ontario, Canada, it's goodbye from Hamish and myself. And may your God or your gods go with you.